Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 to 18. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. In order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labour for nothing, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. When you were at school, did you ever get a letter home from the head head teacher, uh, usually to the whole of the school? Or maybe they called a special assembly to give everyone a special ticking off. It was usually only for something really important. Uh, so at my school, um, it happened when someone had really badly misbehaved on a bus. And because we all had bright red jumpers, the public knew it was our school. Or we'd often get a talk about how we had to take the IRA bomb scares seriously, even though they happened nearly every week. At my wife Sharon's school, it was when the year 11, the whole year 11, rebelled against having to wear the standard bottle green skirts with maroon jumpers, maroon jumpers, and wore black skirts instead. A letter home from a head teacher or a special assembly was only for something that seriously impacted the running or the reputation of the school. Now here in Philippians, the Apostle Paul is in prison Presumably with limited time and parchment with which to write his letter. What is the hot topic? What's the big issue that he wants to raise with the Philippian church? What's the big danger, the great evil lurking that could ruin this church that's going so well in Philippi, that could ruin our church that Paul wants to warn us about? Verse 14, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Grumbling and arguing, really? Are they the big issues really worth writing home about? I mean, I bet lots of us have had a grumble this very morning. Or you might even have already had an argument. Why are grumbling and arguing such important things to warn against? A bit of context. As we get to verse 14, Paul's teaching us what it means to live a life, live life in a manner worthy of the gospel. He's expanding on what it means to have the same mindset of humility and other person centeredness as Jesus. Jesus, who willingly gave up the rights and the honour due to him as king of the universe, going from the very top to the very bottom to serve us by dying on the cross, winning our forgiveness, so that we can be raised to the very top with him. Christians are to live putting our trust and faith in Jesus, living for Jesus, and living like Jesus. And all the while doing that, having the confidence that part of what it means to be saved is the promise that God will make us more like Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfil his good purpose. So now Paul tells us, verse 14, 
the how it is we are to be, the character we are to have as we do everything. As we seek to live a life for Jesus, uh, like Jesus, in a manner worthy of the gospel. So three sections to this talk today. First, no whinging. Second, shine like stars. Third, the cure for whinging. No whinging, shine like stars, the cure for whinging. So first of all then, no whinging. Central to obeying Jesus, central to working out our salvation with trembling and fear is to, verse 14, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Grumbling is that kind of murmuring and muttering under your breath. Arguing has that sense of questioning negatively, automatically going against what's proposed. I reckon anyone who has a job has worked with people guilty of these. People who reckon their primary role at work is to complain about everything that they can. You know, when the team is asked to focus on a particular objective or try something new, instead of thinking, right, how can we do this really well? They come up with all the reasons we couldn't possibly do it, and it was a stupid idea in the first place. The trouble is, I reckon any of us who've had a job have been that person sometimes. But come on, grumbling and arguing, they're just sort of harmless personality traits, aren't they? Why is Paul so serious about them? Well, it's because grumbling and arguing are part of something bigger. They are fuel for disunity. They're stepping stones away from, moving away from the mindset of Christ. Paul's concerned because grumbling and arguing have the potential to thwart our spiritual progress to dim our witness for Jesus, robbing him of the glory that is due. A grumble here and an argument there can seem small, but lots of digs make a hole. Now remember, this is the same Apostle Paul who goes in hard, arguing hard against false teachers. The same Paul who says, mourn with those who mourn. The same Paul who writes about his own anguish. So he's not saying avoid all conflict and pretend to be happy about everything all the time. He's not saying if you're in particular physical or emotional pain, get over it. He's not saying that. He's deliberately using language that recalls a particular kind of grumbling or an arguing, that of the Israelites in the wilderness. So remember in Exodus, they've just been miraculously delivered from slavery in Egypt. In the most incredible Exodus, uh, God's been keeping them safe and giving them more than they need. And what do they do? They start grumbling and complaining. Exodus 16. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we'd died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around, pots of meat, and ate all the food we wanted. But you brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Moses recognised this for what it is. It's not him and Aaron that they're complaining about. It's God. Exodus 16 verse 8. 
Who are we, says Moses? You're not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. In verse 15, Paul also recalls how eventually in Deuteronomy, as Moses is about to die and they're on the brink of entering the promised land, they're reminded about their grumbling and their arguing. They are corrupt and not his children. To their shame, they are a warped and crooked generation. The grumbling and arguing the wilderness generation were guilty of, the kind of grumbling and arguing that Paul wants us to avoid in everything that we do, is the kind that grumbles about the consequences of trusting in God and living for him. The kind that argues against God's word and against his leaders as they try to faithfully apply that word. The kind that grumbles and argues against God himself. Instead, Paul wants us to be blameless and pure. Now, that's not the expectation of sinless perfection in this life, but it's having the reputation of being above reproach, of having a humble mindset that lines up with Christ's. Grumbling and arguing are a problem because they demonstrate self-centeredness. You know, things aren't going my way. I feel it's reasonable to expect that they will. So I will grumble when they do not. And grumbling and arguing are a problem because they demonstrate a lack of faith and trust in God. The thing is, there's lots that we could grumble and argue about, isn't there? Life is hard. People can be difficult. I mean, look at the times that we're living in. Australia's got it easier than most countries, but we're still living it under unprecedented restrictions. And setting aside all the society-wide difficulties, never before in Australia's history have churches been prevented from physically gathering. But the question is, how are we going to respond to all this? We could grumble. We could argue about it. We could despair or we could follow the example set by the Apostle Paul. You know, I'm pretty sure that being stuck in prison wasn't plan A for, his, for him advancing the gospel. And yet trusting God to get done what God wants to get done, Paul can say, chapter 1 verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. With the help of the Philippians Gospel Partnership, he's been able to stay on mission. So Paul's wilderness experience, if you like, of hardship was prison. And he didn't grumble or argue with God. Our wilderness experience is the restrictions that we're living under. But let's not grumble. Let's not argue. Let's look for all the opportunities that this time gives us to advance the gospel and help each other to become more like Jesus. I read this great article this week by Brian Rosner. He's the principal of Ridley Theological College in Melbourne. And it's about how throughout the Bible, God uses times in the wilderness. He uses them to test our hearts, uh, to see where we're really up to with God. 
He uses them to demonstrate how he provides for us and uses our wilderness times to form us as his children, as his family. But things will get tough. There will always be something to grumble and argue about. But living out our salvation means reacting in a different way. In faith, trusting that we're not alone, but that God is at work in us and through us. And that he's often at work through the very things that might cause us to grumble. So, grumbling and arguing betrays a lack of humility. It betrays a lack of faith in God. And grumbling and arguing are in danger of dimming our ability to shine like stars. Our next point, shine like stars. Paul says, the result of the Philippians living a life worthy of the gospel, of being obedient by having Jesus' mindset of humility and self-sacrifice, of not grumbling or arguing. Paul says that all of that will mean that their lives are so radically different to those around them that they will attract people to Jesus. Verse 15, second half of verse 15. Then you will shine like stars among them, like stars in the sky, as you hold firmly to the word of life. Hold firmly to the word of life there can also mean hold out the word of life. Uh, both senses make sense. Uh, Paul's probably quoting from the book of Daniel here, from a section where Daniel is given a prophecy um, about the end of time, about God's day of judgment. So Daniel 12 verse 3. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Those who are wise is Daniel's way of saying those who trust in God. And Paul wants the Philippians to be counted among them as those whose lives contrast with the darkness around them so much that they lead others to trust in Jesus. Now, there's no sense here of the idea of preach the gospel and if you must use words. You know, that idea that if only we live good enough lives that are attractive enough and if only unbelievers hang out with us long enough, they'll see how great our lives are and want to follow Jesus. Now, of course, that is part of the picture of people coming to know Jesus, our witness in our behaviour, part of the way that we shine like stars. But notice that what we're to do in order to shine like stars, hold firmly to the word of life, to the good news that Jesus is our Lord and Saviour. Hold firmly to the news that if we turn from our sin, trust and believe in Jesus, he saves us into right relationship with God now and forever. See, the gospel is a message. It's news. It's made up of words, God's words revealing God's truth and it needs sharing with words and as we hold firmly to that word it's like holding a torch and the light from it shines out people see it and it illuminates things how things really are it shows the truth as we hold firmly to the word we'll be in sharp contrast to the world and the world will often resist it so there's an urban legend, it's fiction, but it, it claims to be the radio transcripts from British naval operations off the coast of Ireland. 
and it goes like this. So, Irish Coast Guard. Please divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. The British Navy. Recommend you divert your course 15 degrees to the north to avoid a collision. Negative. You will have to divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. This is the aircraft carrier HMS Invincible, the second largest ship in the British Atlantic Fleet. We're accompanied by three destroyers, two missile cruisers and numerous support vessels. I demand that you change your course 15 degrees north. I say again, that is 15 degrees north or countermeasures will be undertaken to ensure the safety of the ship. We are a lighthouse. It's your call. As we hold on to, insist on the gospel, we'll always be given a different answer to the rest of the world. That answer will often be opposed and resisted, yet it remains the truth. It remains the word of life. John's gospel says this of Jesus, in him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Whilst there are lots of normal things we can't do during COVID restrictions, we can keep holding on to and holding out the word of life. So what's that book of the Bible that you've been meaning to get to know better? Well, get into it now, whilst there are still less things to distract you. Or you might remember last week, Robin prayed about Ravi Zacharias' ministry after Ravi died last week. Well, if you Google his stuff, RZIM, RZIM, use their website to help you to be able to answer some of the common objections to Christianity. Uh, that field is called apologetics, and it's not the gospel, but it does help down break down some of the intellectual barriers to the gospel, so we can hold out that word of life. Or get to know one of the gospels really well, so you can become really good at sharing it. Memorise verses of scripture. When you face issues in life, turn to the Bible as the first place you go for answers. Look, the more we hold on to the word of life, the gospel, the more we're shaped by it, the more we live it out in obedience to Christ, uh, the more we take on his family likeness as children of God, and the more we will shine like stars. So grumbling and arguing threaten to dim our star. But every one of us, I'm afraid, can say, I do grumble, I do argue, I whinge. So what is the cure for whinging? Our last section, what is the cure for whinging? Well, the antidote to grumbling and arguing can be seen in the example that Paul now gives. The example of himself. Verse 17, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. So what does he mean by drink offering? Well, in the Old Testament, there are animal, plant and drink sacrifices prescribed for various occasions. Now, they weren't always uh, for atonement of sin. Some were like optional extras as a way of expressing your thanks to God. And Paul has in mind the offering of wine, which will be poured out on or, on or next to a burnt offering. It was something that kind of completed the sacrifice. 
So Paul's saying with this that even if he's going to be executed, pouring out his life, well, that's okay. Because his service to the Philippians and their service to him has all served to advance the gospel. Their lives have served as thank offerings to God for the salvation that they share in Jesus. And if that's your lens on life, that whatever happens, so long as you're seeking to maximise sharing and glorifying Jesus through it, it's all good. If that, with that lens, it's hard to grumble and complain. When you fix your mind on Jesus, spending time absorbing, reflecting on and just really feeling just how wronged and cheated and dishonoured he was for our sake, despite him being God the Son, it's much harder to feel sorry for yourself. When you think of how much Jesus gave up to win our forgiveness, it's much harder to bear a grudge against someone else. When you consider how Jesus stayed silent in the face of his accusers under extreme provocation, how much grace that he showed, you're much less inclined to insist on winning your argument. When we go through the trials of restrictions for COVID-19, when we're opposed to holding firmly, for holding firmly to the word of God, we can say with Paul that what has happened to us has really served to advance the gospel. And that's not a side concern. It's not just a silver lining. The advance or otherwise of the gospel in any and every situation is the primary lens to see it through. Our joy comes not from how smoothly life is running or not, but on how much God is being glorified by be people being saved and matured in Christ. We are secure as God's children. We are part of the family and we're growing in the family likeness as we hold firmly to the word without grumbling or arguing. As we shine like stars though, from the world's point of view, we're a bit of an odd family. And that will sometimes bring opposition and suffering. You won't be one of the cool kids. But that's good. Because as we stand out, some will see the light of Jesus and want to join the family. And it's a family that will enjoy perfect security, perfect relationship with God for eternity. Let's pray. Lord God, we stop here before you and acknowledge to you what our grumbles are, what our arguments against you are, and we let them go. We turn away from them, we're sorry for them, and we ask for your forgiveness. Please be at work in us to keep us holding firmly onto Jesus. Please help us to shine like stars and hold out in our actions and our words the good news about Jesus. Thank you for the life we have in him. Please have these times we're going through advance the gospel more than we could possibly imagine. Amen.